Father, uh, we do, once again, Lord, we, we, God, we thank you for your word and the fact that, Lord, here we are. We have the freedom to lift up our hearts to you. We have the freedom to open up our Bibles, to read the word. And Lord, I do pray that as we, uh, as we study today, that, Lord, it wouldn't be just intellectual. It wouldn't be something we hear and something we just agree with, but, but God, this would be life transforming for us, would change us, and it would bring us to that deep relationship that I know that you desire for each one of us. And so God, for those of us who we're, we're doing great, we just need some encouragement, that's good. Some of us, some of us, Lord, our world's like upside down and, and we need something to hang on to and I pray that, that those would be reached. And, and Lord, some of us, were, we've made some decisions and we're in bad places and once again, we want your word to heal all of that. So I pray we would have ears to hear but more importantly, God, that our hearts would be open to receive and that, Lord, you would have your way in each and every heart in this place today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we come to a place in both of these books where uh, I think they kind of mesh together. So we're gonna try this morning to bring them together and, and uh discuss some things, but here's the interesting thing. This is also the place where most people say James and Paul disagree more than any other, and I'm praying that we can kind of bring clarity to that and understand, hey, they don't disagree. Think about this. Paul and James met together in Acts chapter 15. If they had a huge disagreement on theology, especially the theology of what it takes to be saved, they would have ironed that out or they would have killed each other. I don't know one or the other, but hey, it would have been fixed. So it's not like these two guys are at each other. It's a problem is I think our understanding is messed up. Paul is defending the gospel. He's defending uh, justification by faith because there are those who have come in and said you're justified by works of the law by keeping certain things. James, on the other hand, is trying to get a church that has become very, very uh, uh, casual in what they're doing, and they've just been talking about faith and not acting on faith, and he's saying, what's the matter with you guys? And so James is saying, with faith also comes along evidence of that faith in your life called works. Now listen, his works aren't works of the law or works of the flesh. They're evidence, they're fruit. So we might put it this way. Paul talks about the root of faith. James talks about the fruit of faith. And so they're not disagreeing. And, and the reason I, I bring these two together is in both of these sections today, both of them are gonna quote Genesis chapter 15. I love that because people go, they don't agree. Well, the two guys are quoting the same scripture, but they're using them in different contexts. So hopefully as we're done today, our faith will be strengthened. So Paul starts out here in Galatians 3, verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now, you need to know something. Paul is being really, really, really harsh here. That Greek word he uses 
Bottom line means empty-headed when he says, you foolish Galatians. J.B. Phillips translates it this way. He translates it and says, how, oh, oh, my dear idiots, how could you do that? Others translate it this way, oh, you stupid, stupid Galatians. So you need to know he's using a very, very strong word about where they're at for one reason. They're drifting away from the faith. they're, They're denying the very Lord who bought them and they're drifting away. And I, I would that we would all be passionate about defending our faith and defending the fact that that we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And and notice he says, hey, before you, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. How did he know that? Because he was the one who did it. Paul planted that church and here's, here's what I think he's thinking. What happened? Like I was here and you guys, you you guys, I saw you. I saw you make commitments. I know what I shared with you. I know what I gave you. And now all of a sudden you're changing. And he says, who has bewitched you? Now, I don't think he's saying, you know, who has cast a spell on you. I think he's saying, how did you guys drift so far, so fast? What happened that you did that? And hey, someone came in and taught him false doctrine. And it's a dangerous thing. I believe, listen, I believe we live in one of the greatest, my my personal opinion, we live in one of the greatest times ever. I think as far as spirituality, Christianity, we've we've got so much access to so much teaching and we can have it at our fingertips. It just, it blows my mind. I, I've mentioned it before. I remember when, when I got saved and I had my pottery, pottery studio in, in, in Bisbee, I used, to, I used to ship tapes for people under a certain age or little square white things that uh, you used to listen to. You'd put in a machine and it would uh, talk to you. But hey, I used to ship those back and forth to Tucson in order to hear any kind of teaching. There was no Christian radio. There wasn't Christian TV in business. None of that. And so you had to do that. Now today, some of you, some of you probably, some of you listen to five, six different messages just on Sunday with live feeds and different things going on. We live in a great time, but also you need to have some discernment because we also live in a time where you can get off really bad and you can be a foolish Galatian or empty-headed or stupid. You can choose the word you want to put in there. But here's what Paul's saying. What happened? Here's what happened. Some people came in, began to teach them, began to share things with them, and they began to question their salvation. And so he says, he says, hey, look at what he says. Listen, verse two, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by words of the law or by the hearing of faith? Hey, when you guys got saved, was it, was it because you did something? The Holy Spirit came and took up residence in you. Was it because you, you did something great? Or was it by faith? Because you reached out. You know, you know I, I, I've shared this story before when, when uh, early on in my Christian life I was reading a guy and I'm not gonna tell you his name because I don't want you to get his books. And I, I, you know, it was, a, it was a person I was infatuated with. I thought, this is it, man. And I remember in that book he's saying how you receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, you need to be holy. The Holy Spirit is holy. And if you're not holy, why would he come in and dwell you? And, and I'm thinking, yeah. But here's what I knew, I couldn't be holy. 
I knew I couldn't do it. It's sort of like this. You know when someone comes and visits, you have, you have someone over for dinner, what do you do? What do you do if you have someone coming over? You clean, you vacuum, you mop, you get rid of magazines, you hide some of your magazines, you put your Bible out on the table, you do all of those things, and, and you prepare for them, right? You, you get all prepared. You even give your kids baths, so, so everything looks good, man, and, and you're all ready. And that's what some of us think we have to do for the Holy Spirit. We gotta, we gotta get ready, no. It's by faith. And Paul says, hey, you guys tell me. And here's what he's saying. I was there. How did you, how did you do it? Or, verse, verse three, or are you so empty-headed? There's that word again. Having begun in the spirit that you are now being made perfect by the flesh. You think that, and some people teach us, oh yeah, you got saved. Now you gotta, now you gotta figure it out. No, you don't. Hopefully we end the same way we began. By loving Jesus. And by following him. And he says, why, why are you doing that? Why would you get to the place where you think you're going to accomplish something in the flesh? And then verse 4 goes a little bit further. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Hey, these guys went through a lot. When they came to the Lord, it cost them. Even as Gentile believers, even in Galatia, it cost them when they came to the Lord. They had to pay a price. Many of them were, were ostracized from their, their little communities. Their families sometimes denied them and all of those things. And he goes, did you suffer all that in vain? If, if it's not by grace and it's by, why, why did you go through that? Why did you suffer that? And he's making them think about, listen, man, he is challenging them, I think, down to their core of their being, not the core of their faith, because their faith is kind of almost shipwrecked right now, but down to their being. I want you to remember what happened, where you were at, what you did, what the Lord did in your lives. Oh, and then verse five, he says, hey, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Here's what he's asking you and he's asking me. God does all of this stuff. Was it because some people kept the law and did all these things perfect or was it by faith? Was it because he's God and you're not? We cannot make God respond to us. Saints, you need to understand that. We respond to God. And sometimes, sometimes we get all turned around and we think he has to respond to us. No, we respond to him. He's not obligated to us. We're obligated to him. So Paul's asking all of that. Now keep your finger here and flip over to James because I want us to, to, to look at, both of them are setting up an argument to a certain place. So in James, remember James is talking about, talking about the mature Christian and growing up as a Christian, how we do things, making sure we don't show favoritism. And James's biggest thing has been so far, I want you to walk the talk. I don't want you, what did he say? Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word, right? Well, he's gonna carry that on a little bit more in verse 14. He says, what does it profit my brethren? Now, here's what I love. Paul, when he gets uptight, he says, oh, you stupid Galatians. James is uptight, he goes, oh, my brethren. 
Kind of different, different attitudes, right? And I would kind of think James would be the, the harsher one, but he goes, hey, my brethren, he goes, what does it profit you, my brethren, if someone says, you might underline that, circle that, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Some of your translations might not have the word that in there, can that faith save him? But that's what he's talking about. Here's what he's saying. Some of you say things, but there's nothing in your life to prove it. So just because you're saying it does not make it true. A lot of people say things, but it's not true. I re- I, when, when, whenever I read this verse, I, I think of a guy, I, a guy I grew up with. We, we were best buds since kindergarten. He lived right down the street, and, and even as we got older, we, we didn't really hang out a lot together, but man, we would call on each other. If something happened, we knew we were there for each other, just one of those relationships. And, and when I got saved, I remember he came up to me, uh, I was doing some stuff, and he came up to me, he says, so Pat, you're a Christian now, huh? I go, yeah, and he goes, it's really hard to be a Christian, isn't it? You know, and I said, yeah, in some ways it is, because turkey's like you were watching me. But yeah, you know, I mean, there's some reality to that. And then I went to Bible college and and came back from Bible college and and his family owned a a cement plant there in Bisbee and and, uh, this was an amazing, amazing morning. He he pulls up by my house and I was out of the way. It wasn't like I was on the way. Pulls up by my house, Pat, I need some water. I don't have enough water in my cement truck and I need some water. I said, okay, let's get the hose. That's the kind of relationship we had, right? Hadn't seen him probably in two and a half years. He needed water, I was there. So we get the hose and we're taking it down and, and so I thought, well, here's a perfect opportunity to share with him. And we start talking and, and, and start talking about me going to Bible college and what's going on in my life now. And, you know, it's like the Lord, like, kinked that hose because it took, like, an hour and a half to get a couple gallons of water. And we're talking, and, and, and I just remember, I go, you know, and, and I don't want to say his name, some of you may. And I, I said, man, you really need Jesus. And he goes, I'm saved. And I said, no, you're not. I mean, I'm just kind of blunt. And he goes, yeah, he goes, yeah, I, you say you have faith, right? Say you have faith. Yeah, I did this like when I was 10. And I go, dude, you're fornicating, you're doing drugs, you're doing all of these things, you're doing some other illegal things, you are not, here's what I said, my Bible says you're not saved. And I read him Corinthians. And I would like to say he got on his knees and prayed and accepted the Lord. He didn't at that point. He did start coming to a Bible study. But hey, some say, right, they say they have faith, but there's no evidence of it. And here's, what, here's, here's the question he asks. Can that faith save that person? That's what James is talking about. Remember, he's the guy who says, don't just say something, but do something. Now he's going to use an illustration, and I want us once again to understand. This is an illustration, and listen to his illustration. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, circle that word again, one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit Listen carefully. James is not telling us we need to take care of every destitute person. He's giving an illustration here. 
He's not even, this is not even about what a person has and what a person doesn't have. It's about how do we react? And here's what he's asking. If someone comes in and they're destitute and you say to them, be warm and filled, but you don't do anything, are they ever gonna be warm and filled? No, here's a, and, and all of us are going, well, that's kind of stupid. Well, here's what he says then. Here's the conclusion. Thus also, verse 17, thus also faith by itself does not have works. It's dead. Do you hear what he's saying? Everybody understands that illustration. And we go, absolutely, you're just taught. You're not doing anything. He goes, well, then it's the same way when you do that with faith. It's dead. So kind of get that. Now, listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about, about people. Obviously, but here's the thing. Here's what bothers me. I hate it when people take verses out of context and use them for a proof verse. There are plenty of places in Scripture that let us know we are to take care of people. So don't rip one out of context. This has nothing to do with taking care of poor people. It has everything to do with saying something and not following up on it. So don't rip things out of context. And if you're with me and you rip it out of context, I will tell you. You just rip that out of context, put it back where it belongs, and find a different verse. But listen, man, he says, hey, that faith is dead. Now, here's what's interesting. James is going to talk about dead faith. In a moment, he's going to talk about demonic faith. And then at the end, he's going to talk about dynamic faith. This is what I love about, about James, man. Here's what he's saying. That faith is dead. It's useless. It does no good. And then verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So now here he is challenging, right? You say one thing, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to demonstrate my faith. Didn't Jesus say we're supposed to bear fruit? Several times, I think of John chapter 15 is a huge one. I think of another time he says, hey, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. He's talking about having fruit. And that's all James is talking about. If you don't have any fruit like my fig tree, guess what's going to happen to you? Yep, it's coming out. It is so coming out this week. Maybe tomorrow. I'll go jerk that thing out tomorrow. But listen, man, if you don't have fruit, you're dead. So think about that in your life. Oh, now, now he gets to an important part. Listen what he says. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works, or but, uh, but faith without works is dead. Says it once again. Here's what he says. You believe there is one God. There is a huge difference, and, and I hope this brings some clarity. There's a huge difference in believing in God and believing God. I don't think you can believe God unless you believe in God, but you can believe in God without believing God. There are a lot of people, here's what he says, demons believe in God. How They know he exists, they know he's there. Demons are probably more theologically sound than most of us because in, they were in his presence. But they don't believe him. See the difference? And he says, hey, even demons, and, and I think it, here he's talking to the Jews, right? 
believe there's one God. He's making sure monotheistic, you know, uh, stuff. Hey, they believe there's one God, but they're not doing anything about it. And he goes, well, good for you, but faith without works is dead. You can believe in God, but until you start believing God, you don't really have biblical faith. Now comes the challenge, and go back. We're gonna come back here, but, but this is where James kind of departs and goes to, to, to uh, chapter 15 in Genesis, and, and here's where it goes. So go back to Paul. He's gonna do it first, and we'll come back to James. And Paul, verse six, three, six, in Galatians, it says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. What is he combating? He's combating the Judaizers who have come in and says, we're the true sons of Abraham. And he goes, no, you're not. He says, only those who walk by faith. And he quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse six. I love that section. We just read it, we just read it like a couple weeks ago. You guys, right? Yes. Not very many of you are doing the Bible reading, are you? Shame, shame, shame. So you, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you haven't done the Bible reading, for homework today, before the games, you got to read Genesis 12 through 22. You should have been there, should have read that. But if you haven't, I'm just gonna put a little load on you and you gotta read that because it's all, all, all what he's talking about. And I, lo- I love chapter 15 when you get to the place where, where Abraham's rescued Lot and gone through all that, done the whole Melchizedek thing and then he's like kind of pouting. Have you ever noticed you get a really big high and then you kind of... And he's kind of pouting and God comes to him and says, hey, I'll paraphrase the first part of chapter 15. God says, hey, what's the matter with you? And he goes, I only have Eleazar as my, as my, my, my heir of all of my stuff. And, and God had already made a promise to him, right? And he goes, but I only have Eleazar. And what, what is God saying? Oh, he's not the heir, but one from your own body. And he says, hey, Abe, I love this. He goes, hey, Abe, come here, come on, let's go outside. Remember, he takes him outside. He goes, I want you to look up at the stars. And, hey, we live in a place where you look up at the stars. There's a lot of stars, huh? We're blessed. And he says, look up at those stars. Can you count those stars? No, I really can't count them. He goes, that's going to be your descendants. And then it says, and Abraham believed God, not believed in God, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed, in, and I translate it this way. He went out and looked at those stars. Go, go read it for homework. Don't read it right now. Some of you have turned there, quit it. <laughs> and and I, I translate it this way. He looked at those stars and he went, wow. Because in that, in, in that little short space, nothing happens. Nothing really happens. There's not even any verbiage. But in his heart, he went, wow. And he says, at that moment, at that moment, Circumcision hadn't even been given yet. That's not till chapter 17. So you need to understand at that moment, and here's what Paul's telling the Jews. Without any law, without any circumcision, without any sign, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You need to understand that, legalist. You need to get a hold of that and get it in your heart and believe that. And then, and then he says, hey, therefore, all of those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Do you understand that you and I are sons of Abraham? And hey, I, 
when we go to Israel, I like to challenge Jews a little bit if you get an opportunity and you're just out and in, in walking in the community and, and you can just tell them, man, Abraham, I'm a son of Abraham. Then they get like a little bit freaked out because they love Abraham. So, hey, here's what he's saying. That's the truth. And then, and then verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham, uh, to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all nations will be blessed. Now that, you know, he said it there and he might have even said it in chapter 22. So I'm putting it up there again. You got to read 12 through 22. If you've not done your Bible reading, if you did your Bible reading, you get a pass and, and you can go home and take a nap before the game. But if you didn't, you got to get this, and you got to understand what's going on. But here's what he says, man. In you, all the nations will be blessed, not just Israel. And actually, that was a promise given in 12, 15, 17, and 22. God repeated that over and over and over to Abraham. Why? Well, it's a tough road for Abraham. And the whole time, he's trusting God. And most of us know the story. He had one kid. Listen, you have one son and you think you're gonna be the father of many nations? Do you know that he was the laughing stock of his community? Hey, what's your name? Well, it used to be Abram, but I changed it to Abraham. Why'd you change it to Abraham? Because that's a father of many nations. Why'd you pick that name? Because I'm the father of many nations. Really, how many kids do you have? One. Yeah. But he believed God, right? And then the very last part here, verse nine, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Hey, here's the thing, man, we're blessed, why? Because we're walking by faith. So here's my question to you. Today, right now, are you believing God? Hmm. It's hard to believe God because that's called walking by faith. And walking by faith is hard. I remember Chuck Smith used to say, if walking by faith was easy, we would all be doing it. It's hard. You gotta step out. And, and I'm not, I, hey, I know most of you I'm talking to, I, I understand you're believing God for salvation, but are you believing God for all of your life? Are you gonna do an Abraham thing? Oh no, that's pretty big. Well, let's go see what Abraham did. Go back to James now. Now James uses the same thing. James cracks me up. Man, it's just like, it's so good. So James, go back to James, verse 21. And here's what he says in, in verse 2, 21. He says, and was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Listen to how he takes this, you know, I know this is further down the road, but he was what? He was justified by works? Wait a minute. Aren't you the one who just said it's by faith? Yeah, but he's not, listen carefully. He's not talking about works of the law or works of the flesh. Here's what he's saying. Abraham had evidence of his faith. We can say all kinds of things, but are you gonna do it? And most of us know the story, right? You get down to chapter 22 after you have chapter 15. And remember, God walked through the animal parts. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, read chapter 15. And God made a covenant with him, made a contract, and only God was the one who had to keep it. And then you get down to chapter 22, and he has a son. He finally has a son. Yes! And God says, hey, Abe, I want you to take your son, and I want you to go to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. Like, are we just going to pretend, God? No, I want you to sacrifice him. 
And isn't it interesting? I love that story. He, he doesn't tell Sarah, wise choice. Hey, sweetheart, I'm gonna go sacrifice our son. He says, hey, hon, we're gonna go camping, right? We're just gonna take a little camping trip. It's gonna be good. We'll, we'll be back in a few. And he takes off. Can you imagine if he would have told Sarah, oh, by the way, that Bible show a few years ago did not keep that accurate. Don't watch that. So he took off with his son and two servants. And they get to Mount Moriah, and that's my favorite scene, man. They get to Mount Moriah, he takes the wood off of the, off of the animals, puts it on Isaac's back. And he turns to his two guys, and here's what he says. Listen to what he says. Me and the lad, we're gonna go up there and we're gonna worship. And then we will return. He knew. Here's what he knew. Now you gotta understand something because in Hebrews chapter 11, when it talks about this, it says, he trusted God to raise the dead. Here's what Abraham knew. You talk about believing God, not believing in God, but believing God. Here's what he knew. He had one son, one chance at being the father of many nations. Now that one son, he's being asked to sacrifice. Here's what he knows. God keeps his promises. And that son is not going to die. And if he does die, God's gonna raise him from the dead because that's the only way I can be the father of many nations. You talk about, you talk about unyielding trust and so, yeah, he was justified by works. Why? Because he demonstrated his faith, not to God. I think he had to demonstrate it to himself and anybody else who might want to read Genesis chapter 22. Trust me, God wasn't going, man, I hope Abraham doesn't do this. I hope we get it right. God's in control. But Abraham needed to know. He needed to know his heart. And sometimes God takes us to the brink of something and he says, you're gonna trust me? And we're going, <laughs> yeah, no. We don't. And so we need to understand that. Oh, he goes further and he says, listen. He says, do you not see, verse 22, do you not see that faith was working together with his works? And by his works, his faith was made perfect. It was demonstrated that it was real, genuine faith. And verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, there it is. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He quotes that same verse. Why? Because it's true. And years later, he proves that out. And then I love this part. And he was called the friend of God. Man, I love that. I, I love the idea of God saying, hey, Abe, you're my friend. Like, it's one thing for us, you know, even we sing this morning, it's one thing for us to tell God he's our friend. It's much better for him to tell us we're his friend. Like, I like people to tell me that I'm their friend. I like people to say that. Hey, you're my friend. That makes me feel good. But when God says it, whoa, right? That's a whole different level. He was called the friend of God. And then, I love it, man. James is not giving up, man. James is like a pit bull, right? And he says to them, he says, verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And that, listen, that's his point in Titus. You can read these for, for homework later on. Titus chapter one, Titus chapter three. And, and here's what Titus and, and, and Paul's saying. And by the way, Paul wrote Titus. 
And Paul is saying the same thing. Hey, if you're not demonstrating faith, it's empty. So you can read those on your own. I was gonna read those to you, but you guys aren't listening fast enough, so you have to read them on your own. So you guys can kind of look those up. I'll leave them up for a minute. You can write them down. But because I want to get to this, look at chapter 25, or verse 25, I'm sorry. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Now, listen, I love this. Here's, check out what he does. He takes this guy who's huge, right? Great social standing, wealthy guy, moral guy. I mean, Abraham, you bring up Abraham to a juice, you bring up Abraham almost to anybody, and you go, wow, what an amazing guy. The, what do you think of the first time you hear Rahab? Hooker, right? She was a prostitute. I remember when I was in Bangkok with Danny Turner and, and we, were, we wanted to find this ministry in, in Bangkok and, and you gotta hear the whole thing and I gotta make sure the tape doesn't break or whatever, we don't use tape. But anyway, and we went to the red light district and we went to the red light district looking for this ministry and in the middle of all of these nasty vulgar signs was this one sign and it, here's what it said, Rahab Ministries. And you go in and here's this lady, this lady, Pat, Patricia Green from New Zealand, and here's what she's doing. She's in the middle of the red light district, and she's doing hair. She's making these ladies up. She's doing their hair, doing their nails, making them up, and sharing Jesus with them. And she would go into, into some of the bars and buy time and sit and talk to them until they started kicking her out. But these ladies are coming to her beauty shop and she's sharing Jesus, and here's a wonderful thing, man. They would give their hearts to the Lord, and she would teach them how to do hair so they would have a trade, and then they would pick up in the same place she was at. What a great thing. So when I hear Rahab, I, you know, I instantly think prostitution. And so he takes this lady that's from the dregs of society, in the low part, very immoral, and he goes, hey, let's use her for an example of faith. And what did she do? Remember when the spies came? Oh, for homework again, you got to read this. Joshua chapter two through six. And she took them in and I love it, man. She takes them in and she protects them because of this. She heard about the God of Israel and she didn't believe in him, but she believed him. You know what I'm saying? She believed everything she heard. And remember when the spies came? I've heard, and I know what your God is gonna do. How do you know that? You're a hooker. You've not been out of here. Because I heard, and I believe God. And so her life was changed radically at that moment. So then he uses her, and he says, hey, here's another one who was justified. Listen, he says justified by works. Again, what is James saying when he's saying by works? Because I want to clarify that. He's not saying by works of the law. He's not saying you have to be circumcised. You have to say so many prayers. You have to do that. Nor is he saying works of the flesh. When he says works, it means that we're responding to God, and we're believing God, and we're acting on it. And there's something evidence in our lives and then he ends it with this for verse 26 as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also so let me ask you this morning do you have dead faith i hope not demonic faith do you believe in god but you don't believe god or do you have the dynamic faith of abraham and 
Rahab. Paul and James do not contradict each other. Paul and James agree with each other. They're just both teaching something different. And it's interesting that they use the same exact passage to teach their truth. So you and I, here's the thing. Paul's defending against people becoming religious and legalistic. We gotta watch that in our lives. Again, I think, I think as you walk with the Lord for a while, you, you begin to get certain things you do and, and ways you do it, and, and we begin to start judging people. Stop it. Oh, by the way, today, I forgot to give the disclaimer. This message is not for somebody else. It's for you. You need to decide. Don't nudge your spouse. Don't try and help them. Hey, examine yourself. And, and Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says, hey, examine yourself to, be, to see if, you be, if you're found in the faith. And he, he challenges us. I don't think there's anything wrong with examining ourselves. Stop and take a look. Are you, are you religious? Do you say things, but you never act on them? Do you believe in God, but you've never believed God? You've never stepped out in faith? Or are you an Abraham or, well, I don't want to call you a Rahab. That might get a little weird. <laughs> are you going to step out and are you going to do it? Are you going to walk? That's the challenge that he gives us. And both of them, I think, are giving us. James just kind of finishes up what Paul has been talking about. So that's the questions that we have to answer. So examine yourself to see if you be found in the faith. And it will strengthen you unless you fail the test. Let's stand up and pray.